I believe that the quality of how I live my life is incredibly tied to how much I rest. Pay sure we can do better. I don't believe in the rigid 9 to 5, 40 hour work week. Life is short and people spend way too much of it working. You deserve more time to do the things that light you up so you can show up in the world as the best version of yourself. The Pretty Sure We Can Do Better podcast will explore all the ways you can create more freedom and flexibility in your life so you will feel less stressed and more empowered to make a difference in the world. The world needs you to be happier. The world needs you to feel more fulfilled. The world needs you to smile more, and I know we can get you there. Each week, we will hear from people who are doing this well. We will gain insights into how they are creating the life they've always wanted. I'm your host, Angie Cazares, and together, I'm pretty sure we can do better. Hey guys, I'm super excited to introduce you to our guest this week, Ben Griffith. He's an artist and he lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and he is one of the most real, down-to-earth people I have ever known. He talks to us about the ups and the downs of his journey, and I really appreciate him because I think he just has such a unique and beautiful outlook on life. So I can't wait to introduce you to him now. Here's the interview. Hey, Ben. Angie, I'm super, 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 super happy to be here, even though we are in different places. I'm super excited to have you here. When I was thinking about doing this podcast and who could I have on that just has an interesting life, interesting lifestyle, Ben Griffith came to mind like immediately because you are always just following your passions and exploring what's going to bring you joy. And so, yeah, I just wanted to talk to you more about that because I think people will find it interesting and beneficial. You know, when you asked me, It was the first time in my life when I felt like I probably had something really important to share. And then since then, (laughs) the entire universe has blown itself up and is starting to reform. And I think it's the perfect time to talk, but it's really humorous to me because literally everything is different from then till now. And anything I thought I knew, I don't know anymore. So it's a great time to talk. I know, and that's so different than what I imagined. That's part of it. I think this building a life of freedom and flexibility for yourself, it's just a daily, let's figure this out, right? I mean, it's not all going to be smooth sailing 100% of the time. And I think that's important to also discuss because if it were super easy, more people would be doing it. But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's so evident right now. That it is a daily thing. It used to be a weekly thing or a monthly thing or an annual thing. I was trying new things a couple times a year, and now it's every day, which, like I said, it's not what I imagined, but it's the perfect time to talk. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Well, I want to back up. I want to learn more about you um, for everybody listening, just on your background um, and just sort of, yeah, just let us know your background. Let's start there. I'm not going to go back all the way, but I live in Nashville, Tennessee right now and put in about a decade of social work, working with homeless youth. Um, We had art teachers come in who were just amazing. Richard Heinsohn was the main one. And he 
taught these kids who were living on the streets to paint, which I remember one of them saying, this is absurd. I'm homeless. Why am I wasting my time painting? And he was so patient with her. And two months later, she had an art show and sold all of her paintings. She, she still does art. Anyway, all of my staff at the Outreach Center started painting because of this teacher as our self-care. Okay. And I really don't recommend anyone do work that hard for that long. Um, I worked at such an amazing place that took care of me that I was able to. But certainly a decade was enough. And as I eased out of there, the painting is what stuck with me because it felt like such a beautiful way to take care of and nurture my soul. And so now I've been a full-time painter for six years, which I never really saw coming. But so you it, didn't start painting at all until you just kind of took art classes with the students and the yeah, kids you Yeah, yeah. And I remember he said, Richard said, spend a year with your paint, not painting anything, just learning the paint as a tool. And I've always been really, really, really drawn to these primary bright rainbow colors. And so I spent a year just trying different paints and finding colors that made my heart happy. Um, and I certainly haven't really lost that. And what's interesting is painting is certainly something that brings me into the present. Um, it's certainly been a meditation for me before I really knew what that meant. But I don't know that my primary purpose is painting. I'll certainly never stop. But I think that what I'm discovering is that it makes me feel really happy and fulfilled to share joy and playfulness with people. And right now, painting is how I do that. But I'm really excited about what the future holds and finding ways of combining all my passions to continue to share joy and find joy and come into the present and be playful. I love that. We'll talk more about that in a second. Um, I want to back up though a little bit. And when you said, so you worked 10 years at this organization and you said they took care of you. What do you mean when you say that? Well, I actually, here's a funny thing. I actually started telling people I was an artist long before I was, because when I would say to people, I work with homeless youth, they would go, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. You must feel so good. That's so great. You must feel great. And working with people in crisis is the absolute hardest thing you can do. Sure. It crushes your soul and breaks you apart and tears your heart open every day. Right. And so then I started either telling people I was a social worker because nobody really knows what that means, myself included, <laughs> or just that I was an artist because I didn't want to have that conversation. So what I meant by that is the work was really, really, really hard. And self-care and mental health care were vital to being able to do the work with an open heart. You either had to close off completely sure, or be intensely careful about your self-care to be able to keep doing it. And most people I see last about a year in direct service in mm -hmm. that way. The place is called Oasis Center. I love it. It's a wonderful place. And it's wonderful because they understood this. And so I had access to 
yoga and meditation and therapy and neurofeedback and mental health days with no questions asked. So I could be like, nice. I need a mental health day. I'm not coming in. And a boss who sat me down and said, what parts of this job make you feel good? What parts of this job give you energy? Let's write your job description to be that. Oh, that's awesome. And I still burned out and quit. <laughs> but that oh, was but 10, ten, 10 years, years in. in instead of, 10 years instead in. Of, yeah. So that, that's what I meant. They, they and she took incredibly good care of me, which I'm just entirely grateful for. And all of those pieces are things that helped me heal and I carry with me now. And I think will become part of what I do in, in helping other people find rest and healing through my creativity. Yeah, that's awesome because there's, I also come from nonprofit uh, world and I didn't work in anything that intense um, as far yeah. as people in crisis, but I feel like overall that's something, I mean, and in any job, I feel like that's something that is lacking, like understanding the need for mental health days and not asking questions about it. Right. Like, yeah, that is so needed. So that is very cool to hear that your boss understood that and provided that for you guys. I think this relates to your theme a little bit in that I think one of my jobs going forward is going to be being a champion of rest. Yes. Um, I was certainly, I certainly learned you know, productivity and working hard and that my worth was wrapped up in that. And I don't believe that anymore. I believe that the quality of how I live my life is incredibly tied to how much I rest and how much freedom I have and not how hard or how long that I'm working, but how well that I'm working and how joyfully that I'm working. And I see all of my friends working so hard on wonderful, important things. And I love being the person that's like, take a break, rest, go kayaking, take a nap, take a day off. And they, a lot of them kind of roll their eyes at me still, but I enjoy <laughs> being the voice for not working so hard. Oh, I am with you hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. So when did you, so you, you realized you're burnt out Yeah. at this job and that you need to make a shift into something else. So kind of explain the decision process for you where it was, I'm going to do painting. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pursue being an artist as opposed to just finding something else that would be more of a nine to five stable job with benefits. Yeah. Well, I have always known that creativity made my heart and soul happy. And it's something I've always dabbled with. And I think that I was planning on becoming an artist at the right time. But I don't know that there's ever a right time. I don't think that there will always be something that we can make up that we have to do first before we do the thing we want to do until we croak. Sure. There will always be something <laughs> to do first, even if that's cleaning the floor. And so a big thing I'm having to learn right now is don't do anything first. Just do the thing that makes my heart happy. Thankfully, because I didn't know that at the time, I was forced into it. Okay. <laughs> and so often that's a gift, right? Like I knew it was time for me to leave my job. I couldn't do it with an open heart anymore. And right. I left immediately. The moment I realized that I left. And I mean, I gave my notice, but yes, I put in my notice immediately. 
on that note, don't ever give 30 days notice. That's so long to be at a place when your heart's not in it. <laughs> yeah, 30 days. It's not yeah. the right thing to do, but put in your two weeks and then take your paid time off and go. Like when it's time to go, go. Uh, anyway, I, I left pretty rapidly and my, my wonderful boss said that I had left to become an artist, which was true, but not yet. I wasn't ready, but that half fiction became truth because I got on Craigslist and I got on all these places and there was just nothing else I wanted to do. I just knew that I couldn't, I couldn't do a regular job at that place in my life. And so, and I'm not recommending this. Um, if you are able to plan this more carefully, that, that might be great. But <laughs> sure. I got two credit cards and I spent six months living off of credit cards. And by the time that six months was up, I was breaking even with my art. And by about a year in, I was making pretty good money. And then I got my own place and my bills went up and I was breaking even. And then until recently, I was really thriving. But it took, it took five years to get to the point where I was paying off the credit cards and saving money. Wow. Um, but that was exactly how it needed to happen for me. I literally just couldn't. And don't wait that long. Don't be me. Uh, because... I believe that the universe will make you do things if you're stubborn, <laughs> but that's not the easy way. It took me being completely worn out and just knowing that I couldn't do anything else. For me, the art started as I needed to heal myself from that decade of everyday vicarious trauma. And that was a couple years of healing and then a couple years of figuring out the business of it. And finally, about I'm six or seven years in now, but around five years in, I finally had the energy where I was like, okay, now it's time where I can start giving back and being of service again. But it took a long time. I can imagine. I mean, compassion fatigue is a real thing I yeah. have learned. So I get it. So when you started making art as sort of this healing process, did you have intention of selling it or? Yes, because I, like I said, it, it came out of that place of necessity where I just couldn't do any other job. I just couldn't. It's also something I'm really super glad that I was not trained in it because objectively I had no business selling art. And I don't believe in applying objectivity to art at all. But if I were to... <laughs> I, I didn't know how to paint. I still don't. I've never learned how to paint. Um, I didn't know how to make prints. I didn't know how to sell. I didn't know how to market. Sure. Uh, and there's this wonderful thing about quote unquote ignorance is you've got no voices in your head to stop you. And I see so many people in so many fields and their education, which is often a wonderful tool to help you, but also education, once you know a little bit, you know enough to know you're not very good at it yet. And for many of us, myself at the time included, not being good at something was a real barrier for me. I'm just learning to enjoy and allow myself mistakes and to do things I'm not good at. Yeah. So uh, at the time, it was really good that I didn't know any better so that I just went for it. I love that. That's super cool. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of 
messing up on purpose. That's a part of my process. And I'm able to apply that to more of my life now. Um, it's, Where you it's, just mess up on purpose? Yeah. Socially in my life, I'll circle back to the art. Socially in my life, I realized that we get to define success as anything that we want. And I was so preoccupied with making mistakes, you know, saying something that hurt someone's feelings or putting myself out there and getting rejected and feeling bad that I was letting that social anxiety keep me home. And I said, I am now going to choose to define success as trying and failing. Mm, yeah. Because if I'm not trying and failing, nothing will ever change. And if I am, things will sometimes. But yeah. It happening sometimes is no longer going to be my success. My success is literally going to be going out the door and making mistakes. And that. what a freeing definition of success, right? Because all you have to do is mess up. And if you mess up enough times, beautiful things happen. So in my art, that's built in. I paint on paper. I don't prep. I don't tape things down to keep them from warping. I just go at it and I intentionally make a mess. Because I found that if I set an intention and I try really hard and I try to control things, I don't love what happens. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I just go for it, I still often don't love what happens, but something new and wonderful and surprising will happen. And I can learn from the things I love and don't love. And then there's another layer to this because I still have piles of hundreds of pieces that didn't quote unquote work out. Mm -hmm. But I go through and I cut those up into postcards because there might be a little piece of that that's so beautiful just as an abstract piece. Huh. Um, and I make those into business cards. So my business cards, I cut up my original pieces and rubber stamp my name on there. Cool. Um, so an advice I give to other artists is always for every piece you see, in a gallery, in a show, in a store, there are at least nine, if not 20, if not 100, that you never saw. And that's true for every artist. And most of us do one thing one time and fail and quit. Mm -hmm. Or maybe twice. But you absolutely have to plan on failing nine times. Yep. And so why not do it on purpose? And why not do it playfully and joyfully <laughs> and find beauty in the process? Because for me, the beauty is the moment that the water and the paint hit the paper and this blending happens. And the final product is fine, but it's never as beautiful as that moment. And so finding beauty in the play and in the process and in the accidents and in the mistakes themselves. And occasionally something remarkable that you planned or didn't happens. And that's fun too, but I really believe it takes at least nine times of messing up. And so I just do it on purpose and I'll throw them in that pile and I cut them up. Yeah. Something I heard recently and I've been applying it is just opening up a spreadsheet and keeping track of your failures, like one to 25. And when you get to 25 failures, like you celebrate for me, I will go buy Thai food because that's my, that's my celebration for everything. But yeah, keep track of all your failures and all your messes and yeah. because that means you're doing something, right? That means yeah. you're putting yourself out there. Uh, I heard this. So yeah, I've started doing that and 
um, it's been super, super helpful just to know like, Hey, yeah, that didn't work out. That thing didn't have the result I wanted, but I did it and I put it out there and I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to keep track and I'm going to celebrate. So. That's so absolutely beautiful. I, I love that. It's, I, I had to realize for myself that I can absolutely with certainty guarantee that something won't happen if I don't try. Oh, uh-huh. like I have absolute control over making something I want not happening. I have that power, which is a nice feeling. All I have to do <laughs> is stay home and not try. Um, I don't know that I have control over getting everything that I want, but to have a chance, I have to try. And once I learned that mistakes are not my enemy, that they're really beautiful things to enjoy for their own merits and to learn from. Uh, yeah, what a wonderful, 25 messing ups is 25 amazing experiences. And there will very likely be some successes in there that well, you I mean, you'll definitely anticipate. Learn. Yeah, yeah. You'll definitely learn. And the thing is like, I so rarely end up at the goal I set for myself because all these other wonderful things happen along the way and the goal changes. Hmm. But I, I so firmly believe that I have to put in some effort and then let go of expectation, put in effort and let go, walk out the door and let adventure smack me in the face and <laughs> mess things up. And I just finished the happiness lab podcast listening to it. It's incredible. Okay. It's a Yale professor who's studied the science of what makes us happy. And she says that the things that we think we want make us much less happier than we think they will. They make us happy, but not <laughs> near as much as we thought they would. It wears off very quickly. And the things that we think would destroy us, we are so much more resilient than we thought. In fact, we enjoy them because we get to feel so strong and creative when we come up with solutions. Nice. And I love to prepare. You should see me when I get ready for camping. I prepare for everything. But in a way, that's a mistake because you can't prepare for everything. And it's those little unexpected things. Uh, the other day, I went kayaking and I got my bedroll wet. And drying my bedroll over a campfire was so fun. <laughs> I never would have planned on that, but like it was really fun to try to get this fire going and not set it on fire, but also dry it out. And I felt like this amazing woodsman with this solution to things. Yeah. And it was a problem. It was a problem. I did not plan for that. If I had, I would have waterproofed it directly. But it's really fun to see how resilient we are. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we got to give ourselves the opportunity to mess up. And I always say to people when, you know, when your fear is holding you back from trying something new, I always just approach it as in literally define for me, what is the worst thing that could happen? Like, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen if you do this and it doesn't work out, right? And then we define that and we look at that and then it's like, okay, well, what's the best thing that could happen yeah, if you do this yeah, and it yeah. works out or you make progress, you know? So you have to look at it and just take chances, put yourself out there and celebrate your failures, right? 
it sounds pessimistic, but going into the worst thing that could happen is so amazing because it's like, if you die, you're not going to care. <laughs> like the worst thing that can happen. It's not that bad. Like it's almost never that bad. There are of course exceptions to this, but generally the worst thing that can happen is like somebody's going to laugh at you, mm -hmm. which is pretty bad. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's, it's not as bad as you think when you don't think about it. And I always like to also think about, and I think it's important to have a community. Yeah. So for me, when I think about putting myself out there and doing something new and, you know, having just recently personally quit my job and congratulations. Yeah. So when I'm thinking about this lifestyle, I'm creating a business I'm creating the worst thing that could happen, you know, what is the worst thing that could happen? I mean, I, well, I have to go find another job or anything like that. But I always just think I have community. I have yeah. friends. I have family that support me. Um, so do you want to talk about that personally for you a little bit? Kind of who has supported you along the way on this journey? How you sort of relied on people for this journey? Yeah, this is a challenging question for me, to be honest, which is good. One of my biggest obstacles has been individualism, which I think is kind of a value that we as a society hold a little bit out of whack. But I really tried for much of my life not to have any of that. <laughs> tried to do it myself. And I think you can maintain the illusion of that a little bit if you're working for someone else. But when you're working for yourself, at the end of the day, if nobody buys anything, uh, that's it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so it's been, it's been really good for me to blow that up a little bit. And I, I, don't, I don't think I am as far along on that journey as many people are. I, I am really enjoying building my community. For me, things that kept me from community were a lack of worth and valuing myself. Uh, kind of believing that it wasn't okay for me to ask for help because I wasn't worthy of that. So that's something I've been healing very intensely. But the thing is, the community's there. It's always there. I, we just take ourselves out of it. It's been remarkable to me, though. I think this is something that I've done really well as a business person and that I'm learning to integrate into my personal life. <laughs> But as a business person, again, because I had to, having to is a remarkable motivator. I would consider that when I started selling art full time, I had a lot of social anxiety. and was definitely an introvert. And so all of a sudden, here I am. And in any given weekend, I've got to talk to hundreds of people mm. and create a welcoming environment for that to happen. And I discovered things so quickly. People desire that connection and community. And that's so much more important to them than even my art being good. People don't want me to say, hey, can I help you and list off all the attributes of my art? They want me to say, how's your day going? Mm -hmm. And I very quickly found out that that is what made me feel good too. Like the paintings are great. The prints and stickers are great. But I do what I do and did what I did to sit out there and meet people and meet other artists and encourage them that they can 
do this. And I, you know, many people say, don't give your art away, don't give your art away, don't give your art away, which is a valid point. But I always, when I go to a market, try to spend all the money I have left in my wallet, walk around to other vendors and just get that energy flowing. Instead of being like, oh, I've got $80 left. Oh, I've got $40 left. Say, like, okay, let's start the generosity energy flowing. And I spend that money and I support other artists. And then I sit and I try to make eye contact with people and smile and see what's making them happy and have a conversation about it. And it's, it's amazing to me. It, it took a couple of years to see this take shape. But about three years into being a full-time artist, people started coming up to me and saying, I've seen your work on my roommate's wall for the past couple of years. And it made me feel this kind of way or that kind of way. And thank you. And you, you gave a piece to me three years ago. And it really encouraged me to this time in my life. And I paint now. I'm an artist now. Uh, I think so many of us either have to move on to something else or do move on to something else before that starts to happen because so much of the impact that we have on other human beings is invisible and an incredible gift that I've had in doing this for so long now is that it's long enough that I've get I get to see that circle back and I get because it takes years for A, for that to happen, and B, for the person to run your, your past across again. Sure. And then those people invariably support me. And it's just amazing to see how once that ball starts rolling, it's almost impossible to stop. And so now when I go to a Pride Festival that I've been going to, not this year, but <laughs> that I've been going to for five or six years in a row, people are just lined up to come and talk to me and hug and buy a sticker. And, you know, if 500 people come through and buy a sticker, that's a pretty good day. Yeah, absolutely. So much of business is how you make people feel. And that's huge. I love that. That's working out. I have been selling my art for six years full time, but in really unconventional ways. I started doing market and not necessarily art markets, but farmers markets and pride festivals. And instead of really focusing on selling originals, I've been selling prints and stickers. Uh, in fact, the stickers are pay whatever you can, including free. And so that way, a child who has a quarter can come in and give me a quarter. And someone who's feeling really generous can give me whatever they want to and feel really generous. Everybody leaves feeling good and everybody leaves having had a good time. Cool. And with a piece of art, I believe that art is absolutely for everybody and that it speaks to everybody. And I wanted to find ways to get it out there. And so, whereas in selling an original, I might sell one piece for $500. I can sell 500 stickers for a dollar a piece and I've interacted with 500 people. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that we might spend this interview talking about how successful I've been at that. <laughs> and then <laughs> the pandemic happened. And all of a sudden, really for the first time in my life, I had a plan that I felt confident in that I could really do this and go to market this year 
and I built out a little storefront for myself and it was going to be more permanent, less traveling. And I was just going to settle in and save money and not work very hard. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden in Nashville, we had a tornado come through and pretty much wipe out the neighborhood that my market's in. And then um, the pandemic happened. And uh, I learned that what I thought I had learned, which was to be a successful market vendor, was true, but no longer relevant. And what I had actually learned was that life is change and that I am able to adapt and try new things. And I very quickly spent my savings account, which I had for the first time in decades. Wow. Uh, very quickly used that up and had a moment of thinking, oh my gosh, this is so sad to spend this money, which is so silly because this is literally what savings accounts are for. Like savings accounts are for global crisis. Right. So how wonderful it was to spend that. And technically, in a way, I guess I never really did have income because I don't get a paycheck. If it rains on a weekend, I might get zero dollars even before. But now especially, I haven't been going to market. And so it feels like I don't have income. But I am just as financially stable as I was before. And part of that has to do with the community that you're talking about. My family has been very supportive of me and the art community has been supportive of me. And all of these people that I've been interacting and forming relationships with for the past six or seven years have been incredibly supportive. And so that community showed up. And, and also- buying your art? Yeah. Okay. and. Some of these people just love supporting their friends and artists and send me some money on Venmo without even buying art. You know, it's, these are wild times. And these are the times when we learn the value of each other and the value of community and we show up for each other. And that's the beautiful side effect, especially during the tornado, watching this city that I love get out and pick each other back up, mm -hmm. literally was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And then in the pandemic, it's, we have all this extra time and away in isolation. And I, I see everyone discovering their passions, which for me as someone who's been working in my passion now, it's so exciting to see everyone discover their passions and have time to do them. And I don't think we're going to lose that because we're going to be in this long enough yeah. that we won't forget. And we're going to commute a little less and work a little less and do all the things this podcast is about Yay. and spend our lives doing what makes our heart happy. And so that's one of the, one of the many gifts of the pandemic is we have time to do that. And even for me, I've gotten a little bit too happy doing the same thing every day. And all of a sudden I'm forced into a situation of confronting what parts of this are what make my heart sing. Well, it's the creative process itself, not necessarily being a businessman and going to market. Sure. Um, it's adapting. It's changing. It's embracing all of my other passions and desires like writing and speaking and making videos and combining those things to help other people on this journey. I heard a poet and I'll have to look up his name and send it to you so we can cite it in the notes. Yeah. But he was on Oprah's podcast and he said, creativity is breathing. Doesn't even matter 
about the end result being good or bad. Because for us, the need to create is breathing. Hmm. And that really struck me. Uh, I believe that whether it's your business or not, we all have a passionate thing inside of us that there is not only beauty, but incredible importance in expressing and doing. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be a breathing coach. I want to not say, oh, what I do is special and exclusive and hard and you couldn't do it. I want to say, well, this is really funny because uh, people walk into my booth and often they'll try to talk their friends out of buying my art. They'll say, eh, I could do that. I could do that. You could do that. And I want to be like, yes, mm-hmm. you could. Let me show you how. Yes. And I see other people come into my booth and they're like, oh my gosh, I could never do this. And I want to be like, you have no idea. <laughs> literally me making a mess. I bet you can make a mess. Let me show you how. Mm-hmm. So I want to be a breathing coach. All this is so exciting for me because all of these things on the to-do list, it's time to do them. All of a sudden, it's time to do them. Those things that were 400 items down on the list, yeah, I'm there. And so I'm learning online marketing and I'm learning Instagram and I'm learning that videos work better than pictures. And I'm learning how to express and share my work in those ways. And the amazing thing is now, before I had one tool that I was really good at, which was market. Now, just a few months later, I have four or five tools that I've learned to use. And my whole life, again, this talk about having goals and maybe you don't land quite where you thought. Mm -hmm. My goal was, since I was actually financially successful at this, finally, was to buy a piece of land and live in a camper while I built a beautiful A-frame and then a studio and then maybe a tiny house because I'm an introvert Mm -hmm. and I'd love to have a partner, but they need to have their own house. (laughs) And uh, I had this whole dream and I've even been painting it because I can see it. It's so specific. And then all of a sudden, my means of making money vanishes Poof, mm-hmm. overnight gone with no end necessarily like this could last until we get a cure which i had to take some time to grieve the loss of what i thought was going to happen and then it was time to embrace change and creativity and learn these new things and part of what's happening is i'm allowing this to guide me into something I've always wanted to do, which is live in a camper and travel and create and build that community with people. And it's something I've always been probably a little too fearful to do because I wasn't confident selling my work online and I'd gotten comfortable. Nice. And there's this, there, I, I don't want to say this out of a, place of lack because I think it's such a gift that I'm getting to do something that I've always wanted to do but it's also not what I expected but it makes sense on one hand it's very practical I'm going to lower my expenses by living in the camper and going off grid and parking in the national forest Mm -hmm. but on the other hand it's going to give me so much more time to create and rest and explore and play and meet people. One of my silly dreams is to do a, a podcast or a website about pizza and eat pizza with a stranger wherever I go. But um, <laughs> I have no idea what exact shape it will take. 
But the gift of being at home unexpectedly for three months is now I feel pretty confident about selling originals online, which I never knew how to do before. And I feel a lot more confident about selling prints and stickers and all these other things. And I've had time to explore my other passions like writing and speaking and making videos and starting a YouTube channel for that, which I don't even know that I'll keep the title or the format, but just to have that opportunity to mess up at it 25 yes. times. Yes. It's phenomenal. And I, all of these gifts I'll take with me when I hit the road. And then we'll do another episode in the camper in Yosemite or something. In nice. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. So what would you say you have had to sacrifice in order to create this life of freedom? It did take a lot of sacrifice. Um, and it's also the most freeing and amazing and wonderful thing you can do when you step into what you're passionate about. But it's not easy by any means. And so I think at first I had to sacrifice being good at things. I had to do something I really, a lot of things I really wasn't very good at, which meant I had to sacrifice uh, the part of me that liked being in control and really good at what I do. And comfortable. And <laughs> comfortable, yeah. Because for three or four years, if it rained, I was out of business. Yeah. I was week to week. My credit cards were maxed. There was no extra room there. And somehow, uh, you know, I sat down. I avoided doing a budget for the first few years, too, because I knew that the amount of money that I would have to make and mm -hmm. then remove taxes and then remove expenses to have left over what I needed. Because when you don't get a paycheck, you don't get to just budget this amount of money. Right. That amount of money is not coming. You have to figure out what you need to pay your bills and then double it to account for taxes and then add on 30% more to account for your expenses and your materials and your show fees at least. And all of a sudden, this number that's your bills. Mm -hmm. It's this huge number that you've got to make every week. And I knew that that number would be very scary for me. Um, but I wrote that number down and I figured it out. And I made that number almost to the dollar every weekend after I had figured out what that was. There's something about setting that intention hmm, okay. with courage. But I had to overcome my fear of that number. I had to overcome my fear of not being worth that number because the number was insane to me. The number was so much more than myself or other vendors were saying that we needed to make. I was like, there's no way I can hit that number. And mm -hmm. I did by setting the clear intention and overcoming that fear and working hard enough to hit that number. Um, the worth is a big thing. It really, really, really have to be confident in our worth which i think is difficult for many of us absolutely um, but have to be able to look someone in the eye and know look someone in the eye and say yes this painting is worth five hundred dollars yes. and believe it and be so happy with them walking away or looking at you and saying oh i could paint that mm -hmm. um because it's worth that to me it doesn't matter what they think that was a huge thing I had to overcome. 
Um, I know I'm referencing a lot of podcasts, but that's a good sign because podcasts are awesome. Glad you're <laughs> listening to this one. Yes. Uh, Naval Ravikant is an amazing, inspiring person in a completely different field. He starts businesses and invests and is good at, you know, managing money and being an entrepreneur and helping other people be that different world than mine in many ways. Mm -hmm. But he has an amazing sense of his own worth. And he said, know your hourly rate, know what you're worth for an hour and don't do anything don't do anything at all that's less than that. And so uh, his rate is $5,000 an hour, which means he doesn't go to meetings. He mm. doesn't go on business trips. He works over email because unless it's worth more than $5,000 an hour for him to fly all the way out there for three days and everyone else in that meeting as well, He's going to handle it in five minutes in an email instead because he values his time so much. Yeah. And because he does, he gets that amount. And I picked a way different number than that. <laughs> right. The crazy thing is I picked a number that still seemed insane for me. And after doing that, it's happened. Not always, but it's happened a few times. And it was a number that I thought could never happen. Sure. And it has. So I had to give up this idea that myself and my time were not of amazing worth. Mm -hmm. um, I had to sacrifice my weekends because for the past six years, my weekends were spent at market and my week were great because objectively from Monday to Thursday, I could do whatever I wanted. Now there's obviously a full-time job in there getting ready for market and creating, but I could set my own schedule, which is a gift. Right. The sacrifice is most of my friends are working nine to fives Monday through Friday, which means I haven't seen my friends a lot the past five mm -hmm. or six years. Okay. Um, it's great to be able to go to a park and have it to myself, but my friends having the exact opposite schedule of me means referencing back to that community question. It's been hard to build community when many of the people my age are in professional careers. That makes sense. Um, and so that's been a big sacrifice. Worth it, but definitely something looking forward where I would say, you know, I need to find a way to have an occasional Saturday or Sunday off to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is here, surprise, I don't have any scheduled seven days a week now. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and you know what? I wrote down, but it was so far down on my goals list that it was like ones I wasn't even focused on yet. But I wrote down, buy a camper, have Saturdays off, have more time to create. Boom. Coronavirus. I have all those things. There you go. Hey, I mean, there's something about just putting it out there, right? Just writing it's it down. It's remarkable. Putting it, it out there. Never exactly how you think it will happen. Yeah. But it almost always happens. Not when you think it'll happen and not how you think it'll happen. But if you write that down, it's amazing how often it, it does. I love it. Well, I just want to wrap up with just sort of your, you know, if I'm listening to this and I'm starting to, I've been thinking I want to change. I've been thinking I want more freedom and flexibility. 
what is the first thing you would tell people to do to kind of take steps toward creating this for themselves? Yes. I am going to give another shout out to Naval Ravikant because he says that we all have something that is our absolute unique voice. That is our gift to the world that only we can offer. I have a friend who that is talking about science in a way that is approachable. Um, <laughs> you know, f- for me, it's making rainbow colored messes. Mm-hmm. But I had to spend a year not trying to paint anything, just playing with paint till I found the shades of the rainbow that I like. And so I would say way before you're trying to make money, because that can change things. And way before you're even maybe even taking classes about it or learning about it, because you've got to know what you want to do before you take the right classes. Way before you're copying anyone else, spend some time figuring out what makes your heart sing. Mm-hmm. And then start doing it. And doing it with no attachment to any kind of result. Doing it because making your heart sing is the most important thing you can do. And if you get to the end of the life and you've been making your heart sing every day, that's a life incredibly well lived. Yes. And if somewhere along the, the, the thing is, if you find that, I strongly believe because that is your unique voice and passion and because your heart is glowing, that people will be drawn to you and want to know what it is that you have and it will make their heart sing and make them want to go find their thing. And there's, you can't measure what that is worth. Mm -hmm. And so, because it's immeasurably worthy. And so people will support you and your community will show up. And I do believe that money will come, but I think first you have to find what makes your heart sing and just do it Mm -hmm. and not worry about marketing it and not worry about selling it because if you just jump into that stuff you're going to just start copying other people and those skills are phenomenal to learn later to support what you're already doing and once you know what you want to do go take classes in it because then an instructor telling you you're doing it wrong can't shake you off what you're doing but find that first that would be my advice and guess what we all have an incredible gift of extra time to do that right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even if you're working, even if you're still working your regular job, many of us are working from home. And so we have that time we were spending commuting before. Even if you are still going to work, maybe all maybe you can't go see your friends right now. And so it's the time you would have spent socializing. Yeah. Whatever that is. If you do, if you are blessed with extra time because of this, focus on what makes your heart sing. I love it. Well, where can we find you and where can we support you and your art? Oh, thanks for asking that. Uh, ben Griffith artist, like Andy Griffith, F-F-I-T-H. Um, that's me. I've got a .com. I put out a new website. Um, Instagram is really great through the Instagram or the website. You can find your way to my YouTube. Yeah. Ben Griffith artist. It'll get you there. Perfect. Well, you guys should all go check it out. Ben is awesome. His art is awesome. It's super colorful and fun. 
and inspiring. So definitely support him. And thanks so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us and being vulnerable. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you more than you can know. Um, we've been friends for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And it's been wonderful. You, you were doing things that made your heart sing a long time before I was. In fact, let's talk about things coming full circle. Yeah. I remember being in college, which was a long time ago, y'all. <laughs> yes. And we met. And you took off to travel Central and South America and hang out on beaches and not be so concerned with making the dollar. That's true. And that was part of what planted that dream in me. And the, I, I definitely, as I get older, have come to value home and safety and community. But there is part of me that needs to get out and travel too. And I used to think that would be all the time and I don't anymore. I think I'll enjoy having a home base. But that camper, those long periods of travel have been on my wish list uh, at least since then. So thank you for being a part of my believing that it's possible to do something really scary and exciting. Of course. Wow, I didn't realize that. Thank you for sharing that with me. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we will hopefully keep in touch and maybe have you on again soon when you're in your camper. And yes, 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 yes. <laughs> hear how you're doing. Thanks so much. Beautiful. Enjoyed this. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode. If anything in the show is resonating with you, please share and leave a rating and review so other people can find the show. You can find any links mentioned in the show notes at accountabilityforhire.com in the podcast section. And I would absolutely love to connect with you personally. Reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at Accountability for Hire and let me know what questions or thoughts you have about creating your life of freedom and flexibility. And please join our Facebook group. Just search the Pretty Sure We Can Do Better podcast. I want us to create a community to share resources and support each other on our journeys. Thanks for being you and wanting more for your life. And I'll see you next week.